you're listening to the You Can't Fix What You Can't See podcast, hosted by author and consultant Karen Cornwell. Here we share real success stories from companies striving to become more gender savvy to drive innovation, growth, and engagement for all. Today, I'm interviewing Chuck Hayes. Chuck works for Sage Glass, which is a subsidiary of St. Gobain. And he is the vice president of admin, HR, legal, strategic purchasing. And I think there's probably another list of things that he does that probably doesn't get credit for. But welcome, Chuck. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing well, thank you. And yeah, there is another list, but I'm, I'm in short called the vice president of everything else. Everything else. So that I think is a very unique title um, and something to be strived for if you really want to work hard. So Chuck, could you give us like a little thumbnail history of Sage? Because you're a startup company positioned in a big conglomerate. You're, there's a lot of things that are going on there. Let, let our listeners know just a really short history of Sage Glass. Sure. Well, Sage really created what we call electron, electronically tintable glass. And it's glass that with a switch of a button, a click on an app, you can tint or you can clear glass. It gives you glare control, also gives you solar heat control. And what it does is it really transforms the indoor environment and makes it much more comfortable, much more functional. Because it, it gives you that connection to the outdoors without any of the side effects of, of letting the sun in. So it's a, it's a new space in the glass industry, but the technology is enormously difficult, complex, very capital intensive, all the things you don't want to have in a technology startup. And we're in an industry that has spent now literally billions of dollars to try and create glass that you can switch. And Sage was really the first company to be able to crack that code for architectural glass and introduce a product. And the challenge we have today is, yeah, we're producing glass at an increasing rate. We're having a lot of success there, but success attracts competition. And we're now up to our eyeballs with a lot of venture capital companies moving in as fast followers. And so rather than being able to sit back and say, wow, you know, we've arrived, we're successful. Competitively, uh, we've launched a new industry and it's actually getting more and more difficult as time goes on. That is um, truly amazing. So you are a high-tech manufacturing company, which causes extreme high costs for your clients with a new product <laughs> that people aren't familiar with and aren't really sure what the benefits are. Well, it sounds really easy. Your job must be really easy. So, yeah. so what do you do? What was the business case for you all to really start focusing on women in your organization? Um, with all this going on, it seems like you should have had enough to do without that, but you've chosen to add that in. So what, what drove you to start really focusing on women? And that was a process, but, but the business case started with the reality that you can't just build it, they will come. That to actually establish a new technology business, a, a new customer base, 
there was a lot we had to do to be successful, both in the short and long term. But it started with ensuring you got the best people. And not just the best people, but the best people in an environment where they are doing their best work. Because the more we were successful, the more we were going to attract competition. And in new technology, you have to sustain that to stay on the cutting edge because you're attracting so many followers. And when we looked at it, we realized that attracting the best people is not just the best men. It's not just the best people of Northern European descent. It's the best of all people. And that includes all genders. And when we looked at that, we realized we weren't really doing our job so so where at some point you must you made this realization and you said we're going to make some changes what did the company look like when you when you had the epiphany and and before you started making the changes so you know sage at, at the time we had that epiphany we were actually culturally very diverse we're in an area of north america that is is well we're 93 percent northern european and so if you want to be like the demographic, you'd be uh, Northern European. And yet, at that point, we actually realized we had 26 different mother tongue languages being spoken at SAGE. We had actually done a phenomenal job without thinking about it to become culturally very diverse. The promise of the technology, the benefits, the, it's a green technology, the energy saving, the the improvement in environment for people was attracting people from all over the world. But when we looked at that and said, are we doing the best job we can, you move past cultural diversity and look at gender diversity, and we were really shocked. We had never really consciously looked at it before. We were only 7% female. So as leaders, to be honest, we had to admit that we were not even though we said our business case needs the best of all peoples, we weren't successfully attracting all of the best people, and our work was incomplete. Interesting. Interesting. 7%. So if I look at high-tech companies here in Silicon Valley, they're probably running about 15% women in that they're in the, they're in the teens usually when we, when we yeah. looked at those numbers. Yeah. So you actually started from a even more deficit position than tech companies in Silicon Valley, but you're not in Silicon Valley. You're actually, no, we're not. So talk to talk a little bit about, about where you are. Cause that affects who you can yeah. get, right? Yeah. Well, and, and that's, I mean, the first thing that happens when you say, well, we're 7%, you go, well, what is, what is the world at? And, um, you know, in, in Silicon Valley, I've seen numbers go as high as 16.5%, but it's, it's in the mid-teens there somewhere. And if we want to attract the best people, we're in competition with Silicon Valley, even though we're not, not there. And so when you start measuring, we're, we're not in the game. We're not even in the game. But the, the, the natural reaction is to, your, your mind tends to start with excuses, right? Why are we only 7% female? Oh, well, we're a STEM business. There's not that many women in science and technology. But in all honesty, Silicon Valley was at 15, 16%. Why are we at seven? So to be honest with yourself, there's something wrong here. 
but the excuses can continue if you want. I mean, we're in Faribault, Minnesota. We're, we're uh, in on the edge of town. We're in a cornfield. Now, I'd argue it's a very high-tech cornfield, right? But, uh, but we're not in the Silicon Valley. We're the Silicon Valley firm that got lost on the way to the Silicon Valley. So maybe we just can't get women to come uh, to the Midwest for high-tech jobs. But the honesty is, when you look at it, we were culturally versed. We were certainly getting men, not just from the Silicon Valley, but from all over the world to come to this cornfield in Southern Minnesota. The honest assessment was we had a gap that we didn't understand. And if we wanted the best of all people, we had to get serious about looking at it. Our conclusion, simply, we were missing out on a lot of talent and our business required us to change it. So we were 7% then. Today, we're actually one-third professional female. That is pretty, uh, over over what time period, Chuck, did that transpire from 7% to 33%, right? Yeah, well, we did our first measurement seven years ago. So in seven years, you were able to make yeah. Tremendous progress and go way by Silicon Valley companies who are still in the teens. So this is doable. It, it, it is doable. And, you know, it's not without effort. But, you know, what, you ask yourself a lot of questions. And uh, what is the right number to have? You know, early on, the question was, well, it's a lot more than 7%. And so the thought of can we get good enough to at least have parity, that's great. But the reality is, I want the best people, so I need to become a culture and an environment where the best people would choose to go there first. And so that propelled us to keep working it past the average STEM business. And in fact, we're a third female. Is that the right level to be at? And I'd argue growing will get harder, but what's the right ultimate goal? I think the right ultimate goal is when the census of your team population reflects society. Now, that's a way out there. That would say you're more at 50, 50, or if you look at college graduates, 51, 49, right? It's, right. Um, and there's a lot of other things that have to change before you get there. But this is all a journey. We haven't arrived, but we've been able to make tremendous progress. and we have proven the case works. We've had some tremendous results. And, so and so tell me a little we, bit about some of your results and some of the things you've done, Chuck, because this is, this is really amazing. And I know many, many people look and they say, well, we're stuck where we are. We're stuck. Everybody's stuck where we are. We can't make any more progress. And clearly you guys have leaped over many hurdles. So share with our listeners, what is it that you did? Well, it's not that complex, but, but let me walk you through it. The, the first thing we did is we decided to go on the journey. We made a decision to say, right, we have to fix this. We need, we need the talent. And, and quite honestly, the first thing we did is we, we started measuring. I, I, you know, I'm a general manager at heart. I didn't grow up in the HR community. Always better out it. If you're managing people, you're in HR. Uh, but I believe you get what you measure, right? And our measurements are not complex, but, but we measure monthly and we publish uh, so everybody can see it. 
But we started looking at, in our professional ranks, we started looking at simply what percentage of our professional rank was female. And uh, with, with an eye on, let's fix this, let's grow this. We also started looking at, if we hire a bunch of women out of college and, and the organization doesn't progress but at an entry level, uh, you know, that's, that's not healthy either. So we also started measuring our census, uh, our gender diversity at a professional level, at a management level, and at an executive level. And you think 7% is bad? When you look at that cut, you know, we started basically zero at management levels and zero at executive levels. And actually, when we first started measuring, we had one female executive, but she was in the process of leaving to go join another startup. So. We, we actually measured, we actually ended up starting out at zero. Today, we are 25% diverse in executive ranks, and we're actually 41% diverse in, in management, middle management ranks. And what's interesting in that journey is that, yes, we went out into the, the world and we acquired some of that talent, but a majority of that talent has actually been, been developed within the company by other processes that we've put in place to recognize and accelerate the, the development of, of female talent. So we've been really successful on the journey, not just being able to hire and, and build our diversity, but, but build it at all different levels. And, and how difficult was that for you? So you, I mean, you had to start bringing women in out of college, but you also had to go out and find some more senior women, right, to, to come yeah. in that had the right skills. Well, you know, to, to start that journey, you, you start by measuring, but then you have to actually do something. You have to act. And um, the, literally the very first thing we did was say, right, you're going to post a job as a hiring manager. We're going to support you as an HR organization. We are not going to hire anyone unless at least one qualified female candidate has gone through the process. It seems simple. It seems, but that was actually revolutionary. You know, we, uh, we routinely would post jobs. And as soon as we had qualified candidates, we'd go to the hiring process. Now to say, wait a minute, we haven't done our sourcing job until we've seen not just men, but qualified women as well. And, and that was a culture shift. I had more than one conversation and a few of them a little heated, right? About what? You're not just going to let me go ahead and hire? And, but, and, and this is where an executive presence is important. And that's to say, no, there's more here at stake than filling an open slot. We are, we are trying to position the company strategically in a different place. And so it's critical that we go back and do the rest of the sourcing job. So just, just putting a stake in the ground, it required us to go back and say, well, then how will we source? And how do we need to source talent in the future to get good at this? And, and, and I tell you, it just, um, Karen, it just, forced us to go back and look at that whole sourcing process. It forced us to look at, at things we should have been looking at better. What is our story? What is, what is our value prop 
not just to women, but to men, to, to everybody as, as an employer. And we started, as we started looking at that, we started realizing we've got a great story. And, and not just a great story for men, but a great story for women too. And, and part of the problem was we weren't telling our story. We were doing a lousy job of marketing uh, who we were. We have a culture people love. We have, uh, we have a collaborative culture. Um, we can move people around quickly. We can be very flexible. And that just doesn't appeal to men. It, it appeals to women as well. And so it, this process, it didn't just help us do a better job of hiring, identifying female talent and hiring. It helped us hire better male talent. It, uh, it really forces us to go back and relearn and, and reset everything. And it, but, but the most valuable thing it did for us was it really forced us to start asking questions and go back and not say, yeah, 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 we got it. We know how to fill positions, but to become students of the process and, and go back and question everything and gain perspective. And, and that has spawned, we, we started with saying, right, there's got to be one female candidate qualified candidate for every posting, but it led us into a whole series of other things that we integrated into the process. And it's just been a valuable journey. And I, I don't want to say that, that we've arrived, that I'm an expert. We're still learning. There's still a lot to learn here, but we acted. We started the journey and we committed to learn. And it's just been, it's been a phenomenal process. Well, Chuck, I think this is amazing, particularly for startup companies in tech, because that's really what you are, that you didn't even, it's like, I don't even know that I needed to look at this. And then when I started looking at this, I, I learned a tremendous amount about even more than just hiring women, right? I learned I had to tell my story. And I think tech yeah. companies need to understand that, that they need to do that. And the, and the story needs to have appeal to women. It needs to be, and yeah. I think your product being the environmentally green product that it is and making people comfortable is something that women are naturally attracted to, right? It's like, oh, I can make people happier in the world. This is great. That's what yeah. I do for a living. Yeah, yeah people are skeptical too about, well, does this really make a difference? You know, is, is gender diversity important? Is, is there, is there really a business case? And I, I think we've done it long enough. We can point to some things that have just been just phenomenal success stories. And I'll, I'll tell you one about our R and D organization. And as, as we've grown and expanded, we've, we've had the opportunity to add, new staff to our R&D organization. And, you know, we were at developing this new technology over 30 years. We created the space, had very large portfolio of patents. And you'd think at some point you'd, you'd run out of runway. But we built actually within about a three-year span of time an R&D organization that was, was near gender parity. We were that actually... And and uh, and we had a phenomenal job recruiting. You know, our our senior R and D leader is is male, but uh, but we we're able to bring in from elsewhere in our parent company, Tonkabon, some really skilled uh, female talent at the R and D management level. And and the combination, we just, we were able to build a very gender diverse force. And it's been amazing to see, rather than the technology playing out, 
we have in the last couple of years, even with all these fast followers coming on, we've had a tremendous innovation explosion. In, in 2019, we filed more new patent families than we ever have before. And, and none of this is fluff. This is all new ground in, in the electrochromic uh, technology area. And in 2020, we're actually going to, we're on path. We haven't done it yet because we're only, uh, you know, halfway only halfway through. <laughs> we're only halfway through, but we're on a track. We're going to exceed 2019. And so the productivity of this R&D team has, has absolutely gone through the roof. And, you know, we, we protect the details of that uh, until it's published, but it's, it's, it's just been stunning. And uh, I will put this, uh, this gender-diverse R&D team up against any technology team anywhere in the world. It's amazing what, what they're doing. Chuck, that is just a fantastic story. I am, I'm amazed at what you've been able to accomplish, and it proves that you can do this in a startup while you're still scrambling, right? Because we all know what startup life is like. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you can focus on this and, and you're already seeing the results. I think this is absolutely fabulous. Now, when you started requiring one qualified female candidate on the slate, I'm sure all your hiring managers just said, oh, well, this is really a great idea. We want to do this. I'm guessing maybe there was a little bit of pushback there, Chuck. How did you deal with it? Yeah, you know, there was there was a lot of pushback. And it, but within that pushback, there were a lot of great questions, right? Is and and what you realize is is as a leader, you really there's a lot of education uh, to bring in. And so each of those each of those leaders was was starting in their own place, a different place. So you really had to have those conversations and and stretch some cases stretch their thinking. You know, one one of the things I observe is that, and especially in a startup, but it's in any business, managers, leaders, your pace just continues to increase year after year after year after year. And and we start looking for cheats, right? We start looking for, how, where's my easy button on this? Because I got 20 other critical things to do. Our brains are wired and, to do that. They're very smart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's gotta be a shortcut. I, you know, and it, it's called survival, right? But but one of the one of the uh, patterns that we tend to fall into is, is leaders and managers is in the hiring process. I've got a slot. I've got this pain. Let me just go find somebody who's done it before. We're we're hiring for capability, and along with this, I realized we had to start talking more and leading hiring managers into thinking more about hiring for capacity. And I, especially in the growth business, you can't just hire for where the business is now. You have to be bringing people in who can help you take the business to the next level. And I found that conversation went hand in hand with the diversity conversation because it all comes back to the business case. So you have to take people back from the, I just want to deal with my immediate pain to say, no, no, no. My job is to position my function or my team to effectively evolve into the future. Hiring not just the best men, but the best women is part of that as well. So what does that buy-in look like? It's an individual journey. Some people onboard right away. 
some people, some people are still on the journey, right? But the organization can't wait till everybody's on the boat. And, but you need to lead people through that. And we've benefited from the majority of people embracing that and, and moving on with it. You know, one of, the, one of the things we added on is we started asking hiring managers to log the efforts that they did to attract diversity candidates. And that was gender diverse, but it can be diversity in, in, uh, in origin and in other things as well. And that's actually transferring the ownership from my shoulders to theirs, saying, okay, now if your job is to build the best team possible, maybe shouldn't you allocate a little bit of your thought process and a little bit of your activity to going out and looking for talent on your own? You know, is it just a problem that HR solves for you? No. At the end of the day, we're only as good as, as the team. And we're only as good as the people. Shouldn't your effort be around finding the best people? And shouldn't you own a piece of that? So there's a lot of things that we've done along the way. That's another thing that really helped managers start embracing that, is get them involved in the sourcing. Well, and that's, you know, that's something that I think – I even saw that in the interviews. You guys went out and hired Namrata, and I, I think she's gone out and shopped for a few of the other candidates that I interviewed as well. So once you get it started, you know, it starts to multiply exponentially, and, and people, it's a mental shift that people have done, and it's not like, who is HR going to bring me? It's who am I going to go find that I yeah. really want to hire, which, which, like you said, distributes the load. And and gives you a thousand points of access instead of one, which is um, making your job a lot easier, I would hope. Oh yeah, that's, and, and that's, yeah, that's part of my survival code, right? Is, uh, is, and you don't, but you're positioning the organization not on the task, you're positioning the organization on the outcome that you need to have. By getting hiring managers focused on the better outcome, uh, then, then it's easier for them to say, yeah, right. You know, when, when they said, hey, why don't you come to this recruiting event at a university, even though you have no opening positions, you actually have a reason why you want to go. Because here's the other reality. When you're now hiring for capacity, what organization doesn't, when they stumble on a high-capacity person, doesn't do what they need to do to find a place for them? That's now you're not filling slots. Now you're building a highly capable organization. And it's the same mission, but you're functioning at a very different level, much more strategic level. And that's you know, and that's not just it gender diversity, right? That that cuts across this journey has improved us in, in every way. Well that is absolutely fabulous, Chuck. I wish more people knew about this. And that, of course, is why we're doing the podcast, right? To share what you, you right. too, can have these kind of results. So that is, yeah. I, I am blown away by what Sage has been able to do in seven short years with some focus. And I'm sure there were some issues along the way, and there always is, um, but you guys have really stuck diligently to it. And um, it sounds like it's really paying off, but, but you're not done. So we'll have to see where you go in the future. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. There are a lot of stories that come out, and there are there are some uh, some things you learn that are fun, and there's some things you learn the hard way, and you go back and 
and uh, you say, huh, well, that didn't work. Let's understand that, and let's, uh, uh, let's get ready to try again when we understand it better. So it's, it's, it's a journey. It continues, but it's been an enormously beneficial journey. You know, as we were talking, I thought of one other story. You know, that R&D manager that I just briefly referred to, you know, we've since promoted her to an executive role. She's actually the head of our global quality organization. And this is interesting. When you get, you know, when you apply your book, I'm a classic. I mean, just here's, here's yesterday's uh, to-do list. I'm oh, it looks like mine. As they come. <laughs> yeah. Very, very interesting. I am, uh, Carline is, is the person I'm talking about. Carline and I are opposites. You know, I'm a, she is, she is incredibly collaborative and I am a, let's just go get her done kind of person. Now I obviously can, can cross over there, but a funny thing happened when uh, we were early on in COVID and we were having an executive, uh, an SLT conversation around, you know, we don't know what the post COVID world is going to be, but it's not going back to the way it was. And we decided as a leadership team that it was important for us to start looking at that now and get ahead of it. But no one had any idea what that would look like. And, you know, we gave, we said, right, well, Caroline is our new senior executive. Let's, let's give the project to her. And it's, it's part of that stretch. Okay, now think strategically how, how we're going to lead this organization into an uncertain future. And, of course, she approached it a completely different way than I did. She talked about, well, let's build a cross-functional team. Let's do surveys. Let's do – that's not at all, Karen, how I would approach How it. you would have done it. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, whoa, what is this? And, uh, but it's like, no, let it go. You know, this is, this is how Caroline operates. And she even – she scheduled a, uh, a pre-call with, with Alan, her CEO, and and myself, and she just kind of wanted to talk through and socialize how she was approaching it. I would have never done that. And so, so we had that session, gave some suggestions, and we went off. And I was wondering, I wonder how this is going to go. And it absolutely went amazing. They Did it take longer? Yeah. But it didn't take a lot longer than, than I had envisioned. But they asked questions I never would have thought of asking. And, and they explored areas and identified things I would have never come up with. And one of the very simple things that she learned with her approach was that, you know, with everybody working from home, managers are doing a great job managing their, their work from home teams. So the in, intra department work is going fine. But what they flagged was that we're suffering in a huge way in the inter-department communication. Ah, the and silos. The silos are starting. Yeah. <laughs> no. The silos, and they're breaking up fast. And she actually gave us, through her diverse approach to a normal business question, she actually got us onto that before the silos, before the concrete had, had set, and, and gave us a jump. And, and guess what? Every business is facing this. You know, everyone who shifted to work from home pattern, you're all dealing with it because the normal connective tissue of the business got disrupted. 
and I will tell you that is another success story of building diversity in your business. Alan would have been wired to find that. Chuck's not wired to find that. It took a diversity of approach and opinion to find that. And, and I, I think we still don't know what that future is. We're already trying some things. We're trying to make adjustments. But it just continues to pay dividends. Yes. So it's great that you've got some you're even able to see the living examples of oh yeah I would not have done it that way I would not have structured it that way I would have taken a completely different approach and but she's getting results and maybe detecting some things that other companies don't know what's going on because the silos can kill you literally kill you yeah in, in they can business how do you stop that, right? How are you going to change that when you've lost the lunchroom, the coffee, you know, the place where people mm -hmm. grab a cup of coffee and go to a person in another department? You know, I was thinking about this the other day. What do you think about this? Because you're losing that connection, right? There's no mm -hmm. causal running into each other. How do you bring that back? That's going to be an important thing, I think, for businesses across the world, yeah. right? Because that integration yeah. is so important. Well, Chuck, I really want to thank you for being on the podcast today. It has been, I think you will open up many people's eyes to different ways that they can approach this and really make some significant progress. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Karen. I've enjoyed the time. Chuck has shared an award-winning lineup of actions that Sage Glass took that allowed them to go from 7% to 33% women in their professional ranks. and unleash that innovation explosion. In fact, there is so much information here that we thought it would really be helpful to offer you a summary. You can find this information on the You Can't Fix What You Can't See website under the Resources tab. Look for Sage Glass, The Secrets of Success. Thanks. You've just listened to the You Can't Fix What You Can't See podcast with host and author Karen Cornwell. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and peers. If you know of a company doing amazing things to become more gender savvy, please drop us a line at the website youcan'tfixwhatyoucan'tsee.com. We are on the lookout for success stories to share with our listeners so their companies can become gender savvy.